correctly with the correct amount. D20 Radio, where gamers roll. radiocom Welcome to Me and Steve Talk RPGs, a podcast where me and my friend Steve try and help you get the most out of your role-playing game experience. Welcome back to Me and Steve, and this week we've got a really special episode planned, but before we get into what all that's about, let me take a quick minute to tell you about another podcast on the D20 Radio Network that you might want to check out. This week, I'm going to talk about the Miskatonic University podcast, which is a podcast all about Call of Cthulhu and Alien and all kinds of other weird and or horrific role-playing games. And uh, it's actually a really cool show. I get a lot of really neat ideas from them. You can find them at www.mu-podcast.com. And uh, Keeper Murph, Keeper Dave, and Keeper Bridget are really nice people. They have a really lively Discord. So like I said, go listen to them for some ideas. And that also kind of ties into our topic for this week's show, which is a game that, as I'm recording, the Kickstarter actually just wrapped up about an hour ago. That is a game called Cursed Captains of Cthulhu. And joining me to talk about it and ways you can still maybe get in on the Kickstarter is Susanna Grace, who is a streamer, um, happens also to be a staff member at Black Cats Gaming, who is producing that game and is also the art director on the project. So welcome to me and Steve, Susanna Grace. And uh, did I forget to mention anything else that you happen to do at the moment? Uh, well, hello, first of all. Thanks for having me. Um, no, I think you got it. I stream. I am the media marketing coordinator for Black Cats Gaming. I'm art directing Cursed Captains of Cthulhu. And I'm also illustrating a bunch of Cursed Captains of Cthulhu, too, because uh, I'm also a freelance illustrator. So, you know, many hats. Many, many hats. Well, you know what? That's, that's I think, the way a lot of people in this business are. You know, they, you, you, you start as a fan and then you do more and more things and all of a sudden you're doing many things. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like me personally, I only started playing role-playing games like six years ago, I think. When I was at university, one of my housemates cracked out a uh, fourth edition D&D and was like, hey, you want to give this a go? And then, you know, fast forward a bit and I'm making games now, which is buck wild. <laughs> yeah, it is. I mean, like I've been playing on and off since, well, since I was at university, but that was... 26, seven years ago. I don't know. I'm getting too old to remember these things. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in any case, you, you just literally, like I said, you know, as we're recording this about an hour ago, wrapped up a successful Kickstarter campaign for this game. And we really wanted to get someone from Black Cats on while the campaign was active. But unfortunately, scheduling just didn't happen and all those other fun things. But uh you did tell me you guys were going to do uh, late pledges and so forth. Yeah, so uh, we're looking into late pledges uh, in August, probably around late August, for anyone that missed out on the campaign. Because we did that with the Spy Game, which is our other game, and there were a lot of folks that missed the campaign when it was live, so we want to give you know a chance to get on board with it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, having been a backer of the, of the Spy Game when you, you all did that, I, I got the physical products are just 
the quality level is amazing. You know, the book and do you by chance know who happened to make the dice for that? Just random off the top of my head question. Off the top of my head, I couldn't tell you, I'm afraid. That was that was James's purview. I sent him off to just do that. I'm like, James, saw the dice. Because <laughs> they're really, really nice. I like them a lot. Yeah, I think I think we're going for the same manufacturer for the Curse Captain's dice. Oh, very cool. Um, so should be should be pretty sweet. So let's I guess dive right into it with Curse Captains of Cthulhu, which mm-hmm. I mean I think it is kind of what you'd expect from what it says on the box, but Tell us a little more about it, because it's a concept I'm surprised I haven't seen before. Yeah, so we are, um, as you could probably tell if you ever hang around the Black Cats gaming channel, we're big fans of uh, the pirate sort of genre, because we you know, we, we play Sea of Thieves all the time. And James, in fact, uh, knows tons about pirates. This was like his little, this, his little passion project. Mm-hmm. So Curse Captains was actually in the works before I joined Black Cats because I joined the company uh, towards the end of the Spy Game before that uh, released. And uh, I was instantly sold because to me, pirates are cool. Pirates are rad. Everybody loves pirates. And then you add Cthulhu on top of it, which makes sense. You know, he sleeps beneath the waves. There's Dagon. There's all the other sort of nautical sort of creatures. It just Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense to smush the two together. Like... You know, who doesn't want to be swinging off a rope with a blade between your teeth as you're about to go kick Cthulhu in the tentacles, you know? It's just the coolest thing I could imagine doing at the table. Oh, it, it really is. And, and you know, like I said, given all the other, I mean, Call of Cthulhu was one of the first games I ever actually mm-hmm. got into a campaign of. And so I think that genre, whatever, has a kind of a just a special place for me. And, and mm-hmm. I love playing that type of game to this day. But it does. And it, I don't know. It, like, I heard the title, and I'm like, okay. And then I saw original system, and then I looked into it a little more, and I'm like, oh, this is this is really cool. So, uh... Yeah, I mean, one of the really cool things about it is we, we knew we wanted to design our own system for it, because uh, while Call of Cthulhu is fantastic, and uh, I've been in a couple of Call of Cthulhu campaigns that I had an absolute blast with, for the tone we wanted to set for the game, so we're like, we are historically adjacent, and it's more pulpy and swashbuckly in nature. We didn't really feel like a game like Call of Cthulhu would suit that tone, you know? Like, Call of Cthulhu really suits that more creeping dread, you know, your investigators are pretty fragile, and you're going to creep around and investigate stuff. And we wanted a system that was more like, nah, I load up a cannon, I fire cannonballs at this big monster, you know? I I buckle my swashes, uh, (laughs) that kind of thing. So that's why we went for our own system with it, just because we really wanted to, to really get that that more pulpy, actiony, funny sort of uh, element to it. Yeah, and and having watched the uh, the couple of actual plays that you put out during the Kickstarter campaign, mm-hmm. I, I think you hit that mark with it because the one thing I will say, and this is always a thing that that I look at with a with a new system and a you know is is how does it work at the table? Like you can design all kinds of systems and they look great on paper, and then you go to play them at the table and they're clunky or they're confusing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and both reading it and then listening to it in practice, this is a very simple, easy to understand, but still very functional system. And I think that's really, really cool. Do you want to fill in anything on that? I know James, I think, did most of the actual system design, but obviously is you being the, the first one to run it in public, you, yeah. I would assume, have at least a quite good handle on it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, one of the, well, straight off the bat, and I'm not sure if it, if it's immediately conveyed is we definitely went for the d6 system 
because to again help with the theming we wanted it to feel like you were playing liar's dice at the table right the pirate game you know that's why we have a bunch of four uh, of d6 in your hand to throw out so you know that's just a little little theme in there a little sneaky peek into the design uh ethos there but um we are of the belief as well that an easy system or a simple system is not a bad word right because sometimes there can be that level of I want to say elitism because that sounds too snooty, but like some people really look down on simple systems, you know, they're like, oh, well, I can't measure this thing in exact millimeters. It's poof. But having been, you know, Sam and James have been making RPGs forever and I've come maybe at a time where uh, I've not been exposed to the old like culture of, of tabletop. I'm kind of one of the new kids on the block. I, um, I and the team really wanted to make a simple, easy to play, easy to learn, narrative focused system because we're all a bunch of theater kids at Black Cats. Uh, we we love we're very dramatic. Uh, <laughs> and if you ever swap by our our Twitch channel when we're playing Game of Thrones, you'll see just how dramatic we can get. But we really wanted to facilitate stories at the table and make it so you can share these stories with anyone. Like my my mum watches my shows, <laughs> and what? oh, I know. <laughs> no, 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 no. You, you. <laughs> I was. I told you, you know, right before we started uh -huh. recording that I actually watched the the YouTube yeah. version of those two streams. And at yep. one point, I remember hearing you say that your mum actually backed the Kickstarter. Yes. <laughs> and the idea of my my mother. The only thing my mother knows about role-playing games is anything she happens to remember from the Satanic Panic era. <laughs> and so that was just like one of those, oh, wow, that's neat and so foreign moments. <laughs> well, I think in one part, I'm kind of lucky because uh, I come from England, uh, as you can probably tell by the accent. But the Satanic Panic never really took hold in England as much as it did in the US. Mm -hmm. So my mum never really had that preconceived notion about role playing games, but um, yeah, she she's she's watched my my RPG streams for years and years, even the really bad ones. Those who know my RPG history, I've been in some dicey campaigns, and she's watched them all. But she has always been intimidated by systems. Like I could tell she wants to play, and every time I sit her down, I'm like, "Do you want to play?" She she kind of bulks at it. But with a system like Call of Cthulhu, she was really interested and she was, you know, eager to, to see how it's played and, and maybe have a go herself. So we wanted to make it so it was accessible for people who are new or maybe intimidated by RPGs. But also um, we do have a lot of customization in it and you can really get down to the nitty gritty of it, too, uh, if you want to. Yeah, I was going to say what I what I'm seeing in the quick start and. I unfortunately haven't gotten to read the second half of it too well because I didn't realize there were two parts until about Tuesday. Mm -hmm. And my I put in, I don't know, I think the shortest day I worked this week was nine hours and I have a 40-minute commute. So Dang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so that, that doesn't leave a whole lot of time to, to read games mm -hmm. you know, when I have other things to do as well. But I did manage to read the main rules section of the quick start. And it does feel mm -hmm. very... Like it feels like you guys have really hit that sweet spot between a system that has enough meat that it doesn't feel very vague, but also isn't, you know, a very extremely long skill list. Oh my God, my character sheet looks like a spreadsheet, you know, yeah. with all kinds of tiny little cells on it. Yeah, for sure. Because, you know, we, as I said, you know, we, we do like our crunchy systems from time to time, but we really didn't want to make uh, a crunchy 
crunchy system. But we we also didn't want to make it so simple that, you know, you would play it once and then be done with it. You know, we really wanted to facilitate that campaign play and also that sense of progression. So uh, one really cool thing we do with like leveling up, for example, is if you're if your pirate wants to to learn a new skill, so say, for example, they're not a great swimmer, before you can take a point into it, at some point during play, your pirate, your character, you have to show some interest in learning how to swim. So you can try it, and it doesn't matter if you fail and almost drown and have to get pulled out by your crewmates, or, you know, they strap ye olde floaties on your arm and send you out for a little paddle to see how you do, but you've got to have tried it before you can do it. Because one thing that annoyed us previously from playing other games is like suddenly you level up and oh, now my character can like do somersaults and gun Carter out of nowhere, you know? No, that's actually really cool. Yeah, that I like that, you know, that you, so to speak, have to have narrative justification for for your improvements. That's something I'd quite happily deal with. And, and quite frankly, sometimes I struggle in games because I'm like, where do I put my experience? Because I, I don't feel like I've earned anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I get you. I get you. And that's something I myself have come across uh, with with role playing games is I always try and narratively explain why my character is suddenly better at something. Mm -hmm. So for those who haven't read the quick starter or you know, watched any of the streams, the mm -hmm. system is a 46 base. Then you add your call it attribute value. And then maybe uh, what are they called again? I've, I've forgotten the traits. Yes, so we have characteristics, which are your sort of uh, your base stats. So to, you know, if, if this was like Dungeons and Dragons, it would be your agility, your strength, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. uh, they are called, if you just bear with me if I pull them up, because my brain is full of a lot of things, right? <laughs> oh, I'm quite sure. Yeah, I've got the quick start up, but I'm in. There we go. I got it. it. It's loading up. Here we go. But with me, Look, I'm on PC when you're ready. There we go. So you have your melee, which is pretty self-explanatory. If you want to be the cool uh, sword user or, you know, you're punching stuff, you want to punch Cthulhu in the tentacles, then you'd use your melee score. Then you have your brawn, which is stuff for like heaving around cannons, surviving, uh, being poisoned, uh, or, you know, climbing things. Stuff that's going to use your strength. Mm -hmm. uh, seafaring is your knowledge of the sea and general sailing skills keeping watch, knowing the difference between dolphins or a monster called ship eaters, which James loves because they're really gross and he just <laughs> he just loves them. They're his favorite monster, I think. Then you have Abjur, uh, which is using the eldritch magics, but using them in a more protective and healing way than an aggressive way. So, mm -hmm. you know, you would be like drawing protective circles, creating uh, wards and barriers, that kind of thing, using eldritch magic. Harness is the opposite of that. That's using Eldritch Magic for aggressive and uh, attacking purposes. So one of the really cool spells that I love is uh, you summon a huge inky black tentacle to crush a ship. Uh, that's That would use Harness to cast that. Uh, you have your studies. So that is how smart your character is, you know, how learned they are. If they are uh, maybe a doctor, they would use their studies to assess a fellow crewmate or things like that, uh, reading documents in different languages, that kind of stuff. And then you have your savvy, which is more your street smarts. Uh, it's your haggling with barters. It's like, you know, fitting in, blending in with crowds, that kind of thing. General sort of roguery is savvy. And then finally, you have your accuracy. 
So that is basically what it says on the tin, uh, how accurate you are. So if you want to uh, pull off a shot with your pistol or your musketoon, you would use your accuracy. Or if you want to pick a pocket or something like that, you know, if, you, if you're trying to be very precise with your movements, you would use your accuracy. So there's your characteristics. Yeah, yeah. And then now those are a range of what, roughly one to five, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, they're one to five. And the the one thing that I really do like about our character sheet is that they are arranged as if they're around a ship's wheel. And uh, on the character sheet, uh, we have it form filled at the minute. But if you print it off, you can color in each little block to show, um, you know, to get a very quick reference of where you are with each skill. You know, I, I'm literally looking at the image while we speak, and that never occurred to me that that's exactly how it's set up. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I like that. Yeah, because we wanted this game to be like, if you were at a convention and someone handed you that character sheet, you'd be able to look at it and grok what it is very quickly, you know, instead of, you know, as you said previously, squinting through a million tiny boxes and looking at 20 numbers and going, what? Yeah, yeah. And so then to roll a check or a test, you take, you know, we'll say you want to uh, smash a tomato at someone's face while you're having a fight on a ship. So you would roll melee plus, well, you take your, your melee characteristic. Mm -hmm. yep. And I, I don't know if you have a, a vegetable smashing trait or something like that. Well, um. we have um, <laughs> different. <laughs> so <laughs> we have professions. And uh, so those are kind of like your character classes, as it were. Uh -huh. um, but they don't necessarily dictate a set path for your character. You know, like if you're playing like a paladin in D&D, &D, you've got a, like a career path to go on with things that you have to take as you go down the line. A profession is just like a way to start out your character and give them a little flavor at the start and, and little starting skills at the start. But you can then branch off from anywhere that you want after that, depending on where your character goes, what happens to them at sea, you know? Mm -hmm. So each starting profession starts with uh, a specific skill. So, for example, with the Seeker, who who is like a... They use Harness. They are a aggressive Eldritch Magic user. They use that on the attack. You can have such skills as like uh, Knowledge of Dark Tomes, which gives you a plus two modifier to all spell rolls that use Studies or Harness and that kind of thing. And those will inform your roles. So, for example, with your tomato in the middle of a gunfight, in the middle of a boarding, perhaps, uh, your GM would ask you to roll a, uh, a melee to attack. So you would roll 4d6, and you add that to that your melee characteristic bonus, whatever it is. And then if you have any applicable skills, say, for example, there is a... I forgot what that festival is in Spain where they throw tomatoes, but say, no. for example, you have a Spanish sailor who's from that area where they throw tomatoes and you get a plus one to tomato throwing. You would add that to that. So it's literally 4d6 plus your brawn, or plus your melee, sorry, plus any applicable skills. And that's it. You have to uh, then beat a target number, which is set by your GM. And if you beat the number, you do the thing. Yeah. Yeah, it, it seems delightfully flexible and yet simple. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I like I said, I know I like systems that do that. And it also seems very, like it also is one of those where it isn't completely abstractly narrative, mm -hmm. but it leaves a lot of room for the narrative. Yes. And, you yeah. know, that's, again, it's a thing that I, I really like in games. You know, like I've been playing some of the uh, the generic version of the FFG Star Wars, which is... Mm very very narrative driven and there are times where i as much as i love the system there are times where i also want actual numbers too 
Yeah. And this kind of feels like, again, it's, it's not purely narrative, but it is largely narrative, but you still have some numbers, which playing a game that is purely narrative or extremely narrative can actually be intimidating for people. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even myself, like I am a very role play heavy player and GM, but even then I still like having those numbers there to help inform my character's choices or, you know, it's very easy to, I think if, if you're in a pure narrative system to just be like, yeah, my character succeeds all the time because there's no numbers telling me that they fail, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think failure is actually extremely important in RPGs. And that's a TED talk for another day. But (laughs) yeah, yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. It's really intimidating sometimes when there's a very rules light, you know? Yeah. And so, like I said, I think this, this straddles that line very well. And the other thing that I like is that I know it's mentioned in the quick start and, you know, advancement isn't really covered there, but it's the quick start one wouldn't necessarily expect that but it has been stated that the your total modifiers to add to your dice roll is hard capped at 10 yes so at the very least you're adding four dice mm-hmm. and a 10 or yeah. at the very most not the very least yeah i mean that's as well partly uh some balancing there because it's very easy to have intense power creep you know mm-hmm. <laughs> when your characters are just unstoppable they don't fail at anything so that's there just to, I think, help with that. Plus, uh, it's a little guiding hand from the system to help make more rounded characters. Because you could, you could like glass cannon, just mm-hmm. max out just one thing. But with the way our system designed in the situations that you would hopefully find yourself in as a player, you're going to get into trouble if you just max out one stat. That's going to suck at some point. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that speaks to the the nature of at least, you know, I've, I've been on a boat a few times. I've never been a sailor, but Mm -hmm. I would imagine that in real life, for whatever that's worth, you do need to have more than one talent. Yeah, absolutely. You gotta, um, especially being like on a pirate ship at the time, if something happened to a crewmate, you know, someone has to be able to take their spot to make sure that that job gets done. You know, you Mm -hmm. gotta be a dab hand at a couple of things rather than just an expert at once. Because if, you're, if you go down, well, no one else can do your job, and, or if someone else goes down, you can't do theirs. So we try to... There's many things like that in the design where we try to evoke that sense of, of being a part of a crew and being a part of something bigger than just your character. Yeah, and I think, you know, that comes across, even if, even if I wasn't picking up on the specifics behind it, it mm-hmm. does reinforce those themes. And, oh, that's okay. My brain, I, I, was, I had thought of something, but I didn't want to interrupt. Um, it isn't touched on in the quick start, obviously, but you have mentioned uh, advancement. Is that going to be level based or like an XP spend or is that still not entirely determined or can you not say? It's not completely hammered out just yet. Um, so for folks that don't know, Curse Captains is still in development. Uh, we are still writing it. We have, you know, we have the bones down, but there's some specifics and some tweaks that we need to make. We found that in in playing the stream. Uh, for example, Millie uh, is playing an assassin. Well, she's playing a uh, marksman, I think. And she has this trait, um, assassin shot. And it is so powerful that we had to we had to nerf it because <laughs> she was just one shotting each encounter. Not to sidetrack too much, but I I was watching those today, and every time that started to come up, I could only think of. Did you watch uh, the Agents of Shield TV series a few years back? I did. Yeah, yeah. Ming Na Wen's character. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically, wherever <laughs> Millie went, dudes just fell down. <laughs> 
Yes, it was that that one line at some point that Colson said something about, yeah, she's who backup calls in. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't remember what it was, but Yeah, her character is the nuclear option. When someone yes. has to die, you send her in and the job is done. But uh going back to advancement is is going to be uh level based, but there will be XP too, okay. as it is at the moment. Mm-hmm. Adjustments may come. This is all with a heavy caveat of adjustments may happen <laughs> oh very clearly i mean that's that's the nature of you know that's that's why i think you see so many companies you know they they come out with a game built off someone else's engine because mm-hmm. that's where they're i don't want to say the real well it's the heavy lifting i won't say the hard work because designing settings and that is all very hard work but there's a lot of mathematics involved with system design that get yeah. entirely too fiddly oh yeah yeah, and there's a whole set of mathematics behind why we chose 4D6 too, to do with the bell curve of the rolls and, and that kind of thing. Unfortunately, when numbers start getting talked about and statistics and stuff, my brain just it's white noise, like from a TV. <laughs> <laughs> I know no, that I completely understand that. I, I get into that a little bit, but at some mm-hmm. level, like it's also like, you know what? It, it, my brain is going a thousand miles an hour and I'm enjoying this, but everyone else is looking at me with these glassy looks like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can certainly appreciate it, but um, mathematics has never been my particular strong suit. So, <laughs> Oh, hey. But yeah, no, I, the system seems seems really, really cool and, and both lightweight and very functional. I like that. Mm-hmm. Um, now, the, the, the traits and skills... Are there going to are those going to be ranked eventually? Probably like to where you you know again the quick start doesn't doesn't cover that, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't expect it to even if it was a game that you just released yeah. a quick starter that was finished. So the way uh, skills would are going to play out, you can take on new skills as you advance, but it will be a prerequisite. So you may need like a harness of two or a seafaring of one to take certain skills. We try to make it that you can't glass cannon. As it were, you can't just uh, stack five harness and just only get five harness skills. So it might be like uh, this particular skill requires a harness of two and an abjure of one. So at least if you have at least two harness and one abjure, you could take that skill kind mm-hmm. of thing. And that number will get higher as these skills get stronger and more um, you know, powerful. Very cool. So I'm guessing probably a lot of work went into the ship systems, which... I didn't dive deeply into, but you guys mm-hmm. wrote a whole set of ship systems for both sailing and combat, as you demonstrated in the stream, chases, uh, all kinds yeah. of fun things. Yeah, there's a couple of things to do with your sh- uh, that you can do with your ship. One really cool thing is that your ship crew is almost a character in itself. So your ship crew has different levels of veterancy as it were. So you can have a uh, like a green crew who would maybe not not the best you know they, they, they kind of can sail a ship and that's about it and you can have like an extremely veteran crew so they would be like maybe a uh member of the british navy you know this is a navy cutter that has got a 20-year veterancy each member of this crew has you know been on the sea their whole lives and that informs the general sort of ship stats as it were so for example uh one of the things you can do on ships is you can board another ship and to abstract that a little bit and have it not get into the nitty gritty, because we know that players want to do that cool swing onto the other ship with a rope and cut down a couple of goons kind of thing. You know, it's that very Errol Flynn heroic sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
if uh, a player goes onto another ship, uh, they roll just one attack. And if it's a, a successful, you measure that against a ship's courage. Uh, sorry, a ship's uh, evasion score. Uh, mm -hmm. If they defeat that evasion score, that is a successful attack. And then they roll their damage for that if, if they need to roll or it's a set number. And that basically dictates how many of the opposite crew they kill in that one boarding action. So we abstract it rather than making you attack each individual crew member and be there for three hours as you slow your work your way through a 50-man ship. You you abstract that a bit, so your damage is like uh, we saw that in in the stream. Uh, Jay's character swung onto the ship and he used his hook to attack and took out six dudes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that was a uh, I believe that was a what veterancy? They were a, a one of the lower veterancies, so their evasion score wasn't great, um, and their crew health wasn't great. So if you have a green quality crew. They have an evasion of nine, which is very easy to beat. And they have one HP per person on the ship. So it's so easy to just take out a bunch of them. And then what happens is once you've cut through what would be half of that crew, they have to take a courage test. If that ship fails its courage test, they surrender. Because one of the cool things, uh, historically speaking, is pirates didn't want to fight. Fighting at sea means you're probably going to die. And they didn't want to sink a ship because they probably wanted to capture the ship because that ship was probably better than the ship they had. So fighting at sea was last resort, unless you were uh, the French pirate who was just a garbage man who was awful and liked to attack people regardless. But we really wanted to put that in that you don't have to kill and sink everything. So you can uh, the opposite ships can surrender and you can claim that prize. Yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I never thought about it, but it does make a lot of sense. So I guess that seems like we've covered a lot of the mechanical stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I did mention, or not, yeah, one thing I did want to mention, there we mm -hmm. go. I know my words. Um, <laughs> you know, it's set in a, what do you want to say, fictional alternate? We like to say historically adjacent. Okay. <laughs> Which... You know, the reasons are explained, but uh, uh -huh. and I think they make a lot of sense. But if you'd like to, to go into those a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one really important thing for us at Black Cats Gaming is uh, we, we literally have like uh, company values. And our company values is that we will not, to the best of our ability, perpetuate any real life harm in our products, in our games. And unfortunately, at the time period where Curse Captains is set in the golden age of piracy, it was a horrific time uh, for if you were a person of color, if you were, uh, you know, someone who's LGBT, if you were a woman, you know, it's not a great time for a lot of people. And we didn't want to hurt uh, marginalized folks through our game because it's quite easy to do even by accident. You know, you can put something in there which is hurtful to someone. And uh, we spent a lot of time discussing this because because of the historical period we wanted to do justice to it but again didn't want to perpetuate those things so we brought on board a sensitivity people that we spoke to and we decided that uh there would be no homophobia sexism racism in cursed captains and as well reconciling with the works of lovecraft uh, as lovecraft himself not the greatest dude in the world when his opinions on marginalized folks. So we were very, very clear that we weren't going to do that. So while we uh, have set our game in this alternate world, 
where these things do not exist. We literally, we do have, as as you said there, Steve, we have that paragraph at the start of the book, that, that section about the real life things that happened, the real history of the period and the place. And uh, it actually has resources in there for further reading for if anybody wants to read more about what happened there and those things. Because it's really important to us to not ignore that that happened because you can't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and I was going to mention too, you know, like I said, Lovecraft's work is problematic. Yes. The games are wonderful, but, you know, the actual man's work is not yeah. the nicest things in the world. No, no. Um, but we're big believers in, in like reclaiming it, you know? Yeah. And, and I mean couple of us at black cats are lgbt you know mm-hmm. um so we we uh, we are all about trying to make the world a better place leave it you know better than we we found it so we're trying to do that through our games very very cool and i i was going to guess too the one thing i noticed in the spy game you had a very very nice section on safety tools and yes. given the subject matter in Curse Captains, and also mm-hmm. that I've noticed uh, one of the people that you've brought in on the team is Kiana Shaw, yep. who I'm familiar with from being one of the compilers, custodians, if you will, of the RPG Safety Toolkit. Mm-hmm. I'm guessing that section is going to be at least as good, if not better, as it was in, in the Spy Game. Yeah, absolutely. We are huge, huge believers in the uh, in the safety tools. We use them in all our games that we stream. Uh, and it's very important that we put them in our games that we release ourselves, because as you said, you know, those are very important and it's vital conversations to have at the table. I mean, I, I've been friends with Kiana for a long time and uh, their work on the safety tools is just outstanding. So we wanted to make sure that folks were aware of it and were using it at their tables. Yeah, yeah. I was actually, I was very impressed by it. And like, you'll see them mentioned in a lot of games, but the write-up that, mm-hmm. that was put in, in the Spy game, I thought was exceptional. And, uh, you know, like I said, it, given that, and and I know you had mentioned this is going for a little bit more of a pulpy tone, mm-hmm. but it also does have, I mean, the mythos and the eldritch, and it's, it is a horror thing. Yeah. And so that, you know, I like a lot of horror gaming, you know, like I mentioned before, Call of Cthulhu was one of the first things I ever played. One of my favorite games currently is a, a variation on that called Delta Green. Mm-hmm. But it is a very different style of play and, and it requires a lot of buy-in and you have to have the mindset going in that you, you're yeah. ready for these things. And, you know, if, if you just walk into a room and someone says, hey, do you want to play a pirate game? Well, sure, pirates are great. You know, I've seen Pirates of the Caribbean a few times and then all mm-hmm. of a sudden... <laughs> you know, yeah. ones and Shoggoths and whatever else, you're like, what the? <laughs> and <Yeah>. so, you know. <laughs> Absolutely. And I mean, we we do have, uh, we will be putting tool sets in there to make your game less pulpy and more, you know, horror focused. Like what, one thing you can do is instead of sanity, for example, here's another thing that we wanted to do is we didn't want to do sanity in Curse Captains uh, because there is a stigma uh, around mental health still. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of the language used in in sort of Lovecraftian mythosy stuff is, you know, the person was driven insane or they lost their mind because of what they saw. And we didn't want to, again, perpetuate those harms about mental illness. Uh, so we went with courage instead. So, you know, you're faced with a Shoggoth and it rocks you to your core, but you're not losing any mental capacity. You're losing your courage, right? It makes you hesitate, it makes your hands shake as you see this monster in front of you. It also suits the more pulpy, sort of swashbuckling vibe, but you can regain courage, unlike games like uh, Call of Cthulhu. You know, if you use, lose your sanity, 
you're on a slippery slope until it's it's death. Yeah. But with Cursed Captains, uh, we want you to be able to keep playing and keep that campaign vibe going so you can regain your courage by having like a cup of grog or there's skills where, you know, someone can sit you down and have a nice talk and, and talk you through uh, what's happening, that kind of thing. But to if you wish to do that more horror, uh, you know, things are very dangerous thing, we will be providing tools where you can stop that. There is no courage regain. Health regen is not a thing you know if your pirate gets an arm blown off they get an arm blown off you know it's it's going to be a rough time for them but going back to the like the safety tools bit is like we believe these things can be in your game if you want but it's all about sitting down with your players managing those expectations having that open dialogue find out what they want what they're into you know if there are things in there that say someone is really um uh wigged out by uh Thalassophobia, for example, like myself, hugely thalassophobic. I hate the ocean. I hate deep water. Great game to be working on, by the way, if you're scared <laughs> of the ocean. So if I was ever a player in a game, I know that my GM, uh, if it was like Sam, for example, would not have my character stuck in the middle of the ocean with no boat, because mm -hmm. that would be horrific for me, and I would not have a good time. So it's all about communication, and that's the one thing that we really want to hammer home is like... Talk to your players, find out what kind of game you want to play. We'll give you the tools for that. It's all there in the book. Exactly. No, that's, that's yeah. Communication and, and, and that thing is so, so important, especially when you start branching into some of this stuff that, you know, does touch on more real world things and, and can, like you said, that can be something that is a real fear for somebody and, you know, they yeah. may not be okay with that. Yeah, absolutely. Because the one thing that like, we believe games are for fun right? You should mm -hmm. be having fun at the table. And if you're not having fun, then that's that's a really sad time and we don't want that to happen. <laughs> no, no, exactly. But having said that, that's not to say that you can't explore some really intense subjects if you don't want to, you know, if you, if you do want to, you know, like some people do like to use role-playing games to explore some stuff. For example, in our Game of Thrones campaign, the the ladies of the group, we've really been exploring what it's like to live in a world where your your purpose is to be married off and have children you know like as women that's something we've been playing through and working through but that's because we had an open dialogue with sam and talked to him about it yeah well that's the thing right you know different yeah. people play these games different ways and i think that's something that sometimes gets lost in some of these talks mm -hmm. is no one's trying to say that your way of playing is necessarily wrong yeah absolutely as long as it's okay with the rest of your table yeah hundred percent that's the part that gets left off and a lot of people get all up in arms and no we're not saying that any particular way to play is wrong but you have to make sure that it's okay with the other people you're playing with at the moment yes absolutely that's the key thing that's the key thing you got to have all the table on board right which is why you know session zeros and just open communication in general are so important yeah Hundred percent, and that's why we try to make our uh, games as as open for as many playstyles as possible. You know, we don't want to say this is exactly how you have to play this game; otherwise, it's wrong. <laughs> Throw your book out of the window. You know, Sam's going to come to your house and take it away. <laughs> James is lurking in your front garden. He's watching. <laughs> <laughs> um, but to circle back a little bit to where you were talking about courage, I also yes. really like the fact that two empower your casting you spend mm -hmm. courage which i yes. thought was a beautiful mechanic 
Yeah, I really like that. So I'm not typically someone who plays uh, spellcasters in games. I'm much more of a get in your face and punch them kind of gal. Mm -hmm. But I love that magic has a cost in Cursed Captains. You know, you have to stare into the abyss to get that power. And sometimes are you are you going to lay it all on the line to get the spell off if it saves your crew or, you know, like, oh, it's great. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, it also... What do you want to say it it makes you hesitant to pull out that big gun right off the bat mm -hmm. because okay if that doesn't kill it and i have to make some role involving my courage now i could be i yeah. could have a problem <laughs> yeah well just like imagine the scene right you're on a ship and a kraken appears i'm not saying there's krakens and curse captains but you know it's just the first thing i thought of do you spend a bunch of courage for that one big hit and then go oh no it's not dead uh and then the Kraken comes out of the water and you have to look into its eye and make that test. And if you fail it, then oof, your pirate's going to be no good because they're going to be out of courage. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, that, that I, I think that was uh, an absolutely brilliant move. It's also as well to get into like the mechanics of it, a great way to balance it, because in a lot of other systems, magic users run away with the power, right? Mm -hmm. They completely outpace melee so quickly. So this is a way to kind of bring everybody back in line so it doesn't feel like anyone is too powerful in the crew. Yeah, no, like I said, I mean, for for a system that, that is not, what do you want to say, clearly derived from any other, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm really very impressed with the way it works together and the different things it does, you know, which I've, I've read a number of systems over the years. So, But the other thing that I wanted to mention for anyone that's, hasn't seen any of this. The artwork in this game, and I know you're the art director and you've done some mm. of the art, but the artwork is fabulous. It really is. It's oh, very, very evocative. And some of it, like the cover of the book is just great. Yeah. So the cover is done by a fantastic artist named uh, Frost Lamazon. Uh, you can find them on Twitter. Uh, I think that's their main social. Their work is absolutely amazing. I sent them the brief. I was like, I wanted I want the ship. They're at they're at battle with uh, like an avatar of Cthulhu because if it was actually Cthulhu, he'd be far too big because uh, Cthulhu <laughs> is just that big of a boy. And you know, I want it to look frantic. I want it to look like maybe it's not going too well for the crew. You know, maybe the the mast is is getting ripped up. And I was actually pretty light with what I wanted. I just wanted a general mood, general sort of idea what was going on in the scene. And they absolutely smashed it. It's fantastic. Yeah, that the other image that I really like is the one that's actually kind of like the divider image between the two halves of the, the quick start. The, I believe it's about page 30. Oh, yeah, yeah. Which just, I mean, there's your scale. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, the huge Cthulhu rising out of the waves and the tiny little ship in the foreground. It's on yeah. fire for some reason. <laughs> yeah, we love that. Uh, that was actually done by a, a long-term uh, community member. Uh, of uh, someone who's uh, been around for a long time and uh he painted it and just was like oh hey guys i painted this thing and we were like whoa can we buy it for the game because <laughs> we love this <laughs> oh wow so that wasn't even anything that you guys went looking for that was someone that someone said hey i have this yeah uh oh, yeah wow. they uh he he basically was like i really love this game uh, this is this is a painting i did and we were like okay yeah we see you all right <laughs> Well, yeah, even like the little, I don't know what you called them in art director land, but the little filler pieces like to cover up, you know, where a column ended or whatever, mm -hmm. um, like the little skull with the, the gem and the octopus tentacle in it on the page right below that. Yeah. Uh, all that stuff is so, so evocative and so thematic. 
Yeah, I mean, this, uh, those those pieces, those little spot art pieces, there you go, some insider, some techno language for you there. <laughs> uh, those spot arts were done by uh, Lynn, uh, Lynn Nakasone, who uh, has actually worked with us previously on The Spy Game. And she's worked with us on Dreams, Nightmares and Half Remembered Meetings, which was my first art directing debut. And it was a little D&D 5e uh, supplement we did full of like monsters and diseases and stuff. But Lynn does absolutely incredible work. Uh, if you've seen the spy game, she did the the piece with the doctor with the two Uzis. Oh, okay. Uh, which is our favorite piece. We call it Dr. Uzi and we use him <laughs> wherever we can because he's our absolute favorite. Even even more favorite than my piece of the uh, the Bond villain with the two black cats who was <laughs> accidentally Sam, but that's another thing. <laughs> So yeah, Lynn Lynn's done some incredible work and uh we really want to get that like journal feel almost with those sketchy pieces, you know, because the idea of like a pirate keeping a log, that kind of thing, or you know, um, dearest Elizabeth, I've been at sea for three months, that kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. And again, absolutely delivered. Just incredible work. But we really want it to we want every piece of this thing to feel thematic. Which is why we've gone for like the the texture of the page to look like old parchment. You know, we've got the edges which aren't quite neat, like because they didn't cut paper straight back then. You know, the font itself. Now, Virginia, who did our graphic design, uh, Virginia Page, will want me to mention this. She dug deep, and that font is historically accurate for the time period. The uh, the sans serif, the serif we use in the book was used during the golden age of piracy. Oh wow! So there you go. Wow. <laughs> That's how deep we got into this. That's cool. That's really neat. Now, I was going to say, too, that, like, the spy game has a very, very different feel to it. Just, you know, like, mm -hmm. the even just the, the color, you know, like, the spy game is very stark and kind of, you know, Q's lab, you know. Yeah. yeah. And very this, clean. Yes. And this is very much got that kind of smoky tavern thing going, you know. Yeah. Well, we, we also know like that the presentation of the book is just as important as the book itself. You know, it'd be hard to sell you a pirate setting if the book was like the spy game, stark white pages with heavy graphic elements, you know, tons of straight, bright colored lines and big cartoony artwork. We didn't feel like that that would really help sell the setting as much. So that's why we, you know, we tried to keep it thematic. Yeah, yeah. No, and that's, you know, that's, I mean, we're, we're verging into a whole other conversation, you know, and people that never judge a book by its cover. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's what we all do, especially in the role-playing games, you know? Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You, you look at a book, oh, what's that? I like the cover. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's, I think it's a pretty open knowledge in, in the RPG world that the, uh, the artwork sells a book, mostly. If it's on a shelf, the artwork is what sells it to the customer usually, unless it's someone something they already know, for example. But you know, the 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 big glossy covers with the big fantastic art, or even like Mockbog, you know, the extreme graphics, the the very cohesive design, that kind of stuff. It's it's very important. Well, I was gonna say, yeah, the, the Morkborg, I think, and not being a graphic designer myself, but I've heard a couple interviews with mm -hmm. I don't remember the individual's name that did that, but he is a graphic designer by trade, but he intentionally broke all the rules while mm -hmm. doing it and yet still made it all work together. Yeah. They, like Mockbug is, I mean, I come from a, um, an illustrative and a graphic design background. That's what I studied at uni. And that book is, oh, it's gorgeous. <laughs> That's one of those books that I just look at every time I just like open it. 
and just stare at it for a little bit. I've never played it because I never had the chance to play it, but I've looked at it a lot. It's a gorgeous book. Oh, look, I, I know the one, and again, I, I haven't I haven't gotten around to getting a physical copy yet, mm-hmm. but I know I've been told, you know, that like the, the section on health, there's mm-hmm. just a big heart on that yep. spread. And it, there's like not that many words, but mm-hmm. you just remember that that's the page because the image behind it is so direct. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, wow. Like I said, I, I'm really excited about this game because, I mean, pirates are fun. It's just, mm-hmm. let's be honest. And, yeah. and I've always loved the the whole Cthulhu thing and, and they mesh so well. And I mm-hmm. think too, like you've mentioned, that there are going to be tools in this game for you to play it different ways tonally. You know, I got the impression that the one shots or the two part one shot or whatever it was you want to call it that you ran for <laughs> for the YouTube and the streams, amazingly entertaining and fun and funny. Yeah. But at the same time, I get the idea that that's perhaps taking it more comedic necessarily than was intended, but still very much within the range of what it's capable of. Yeah, certainly. I mean, I knew with that group, once we all get together, we're all a bunch of chaos monkeys. So I knew it was, <laughs> I knew it was gonna descend into chaos from the moment, uh, moment it, it went. And we definitely played the much more like rules light version. Uh, as I said, you can get much more. Uh, you can get into the nitty gritty of it. I mean, I let them get away with a bunch of stuff without rolling because we were we were focusing on it being more entertaining, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at the time. But, but yeah, that group. <laughs> I, I will say uh, that on Mondays now, um, Virginia, uh, Virginia Page, who I mentioned earlier doing our graphic design, uh, she is currently GMing a group through a more serious Curse Captains campaign now. So mm-hmm. uh, if you want to see something a little bit more uh, that digs into the meat of it, that would be that would be the gameplay to watch. Hmm, I might have to check that out. Streams, unfortunately, don't work nearly as well for me as podcasts or YouTube that I can just put on and listen to, but I might have to yeah, look I that guess up. So. Oh, we will archive them on our YouTube, as we do with all our videos. Oh, so uh, there you go. Excellent. Well, yeah, the other thing, and we touched on it real quickly, but you know, this is Black Cats Gaming. Do you want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about, because I know some people, you know, I was this way when I first got onto Kickstarter. Oh, it's a new company. They don't have anything else out, et cetera. You want to mm-hmm. talk a little bit about the company? Because even though this is only what the, the really the second product the company's put out, you're by no means, you know, industry new people. Oh, no, absolutely. So Sam and James, uh, Sam Webb and James Barry are veterans. Uh, Sam is head of product at Modiphius, so has overseen uh, the new Fallout game that's coming out. Uh, he's overseen Dune act on cthulhu you know star trek adventures uh sam has been all over those products and james uh started as a war gamer which uh you can definitely tell a little bit with this system there's a little bit of war great gamery that creeps in <laughs> that we had to dial back a little bit um <laughs> about distances and stuff i sit like jab him a little bit about it but uh yeah james also is at modifius uh and is by no means new either he's worked on a ton of stuff he think he's worked on Fallout as well. He's wrote for Star Trek. Out of all the three of us, I'm the newbie here, uh, but I come from, uh, again, illustrative. I have illustrated for um, Star Trek Adventures. I did a couple of pieces for the Klingon supplement. Okay. So I come from that sort of uh, element. Uh, I was also an illustrator on the Spy Game too. So while we have only released the Spy Game and Curse Captains of Cthulhu on Kickstarter, 
we are by no means newbies to the industry uh, and we have many things in, in mind. Uh, we are also looking at doing, as well as our big ticket games like the Spy Game and Curse Captains, releasing smaller things too. So we have, as I mentioned earlier, Dreams, Nightmares and Half-Remembered Meetings, which is on a DMs Guild. It's like a, I think it's 69 page uh, supplement, <laughs> intentionally, full of, as I said earlier, monsters and diseases and potions and magical items and stuff like that. We're working on a couple of like little uh, one page RPGs too, just for fun, really, in that sort of thing. Uh, because partly the design ethos, the company ethos for Black Cats is we're making stuff that we want to play. You know, we're making stuff that we would want to sit down and play. So this is why, you know, the spies was was all Sam. Sam loves spies and that sort of genre. Sam and James love that stuff. James with his big uh pirates thing. Mm -hmm. So we've got a couple of things in the works. Uh I think I think that this will be no means the last you hear from Black Cats Gaming. We're not intending to go anywhere. Very, very cool. Yeah, I was gonna say I you know, like I said, I have the spy game uh and I quite impressed by it you know especially i mean the, the physical quality of the product also stands out so you know compliments to whoever that should be passed along to um so i guess then we're, we're getting do you have anything more you want to say about black cats curse captains any of these other things uh yeah, if anyone's listening and you did back Curse Captains, uh, we just want to thank everybody for the incredible support. You know, as you've mentioned, this is, you know, technically our second game we've ever released on Kickstarter. But, you know, we got over 150% funding on it, which is incredible. And we're so grateful and uh, so thankful that uh, you're helping us make these games, helping us make these games, basically. <laughs> Very cool. And, uh, you know, if you want to give some links for, be it, company website any of the streams anything like that and also if you wouldn't mind dropping me a quick email or something with those in them so i can put them in our show notes yeah absolutely so find them that way as well yeah i'll say the best way to keep uh in touch with what we're doing is follow us on our social medias uh that's at twitter.com forward slash follow black cats or at black cats gaming on facebook that we we keep those regularly updated uh we also have a discord which steve is in so uh, where we talk about stuff all the time. So uh, feel free to hop in and join us. Like we are, we're very eager on uh, having a lot of community. You know, we, we very much love to hear what people think of the games, uh, the games that they're having, you know, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, join us. Yeah. So I guess with that, then it's time to do a little thing. And I told you about this before we recorded, but we yeah. do a little thing at the end of the show we call Game of the Week. Would you like me to go first? You get a little bit more of a feel for it? Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. All right. So my game of the week this week is a game, and I think we've mentioned it a time or two on the show, but it's never made game of the week. It's called Masks, a new generation. And this is a, it's a superhero game, but it's a little bit of a different take on it. It's, um, it's from a company called Magpie Games, which among other things, they also uh, just recently dropped a Kickstarter for new Avatar game, uh, officially Ooh. licensed, but they're... They pretty much most of their games use the uh, Apocalypse World Engine or Powered by the Apocalypse. So they're they're very rules light and narrative. But the premise behind Masks is you're playing teen superheroes. Specifically, I would say mostly early teens. And so it's very much about really playing like the teen angst and all mm -hmm. that kind of stuff with a superhero backdrop. Actually won a silver any in uh, 2017. And it's really neat, like going through creation, it is a cooperative character building thing where, you know, your characters are tied together before you even start play. 
comes with 10 playbooks in the base thing, and I know there's a bunch of expansions out for it, but it's it's a really neat, lightweight little superhero game. Again, that's called Masks, A New Generation. Very nice. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I feel like the, the superhero RPG is, is not super common and it feels like it's a no brainer. And I've seen a, a couple of my friends play masks and they have nothing but positive things to say about it. Yeah. I, I haven't played it myself. I actually have very limited experience with supers games, but mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of very, very good things said about masks. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that's mine. Okay, uh, for mine then, I would be remiss if I didn't do this, considering we've been playing a two-year-long campaign on the Black Cats Gaming Twitch channel, but my game of the week is Sword Chronicle by Green Ronin Games. Sword Chronicle is their fantasy uh, feudal role-playing. They did have a Song of Ice and Fire, but unfortunately I believe they lost the license because of weird licensing issues. Uh, Sword Chronicle was released, and it's a fantastic game for really, like, it suits Game of Thrones so well because there are the the social intrigue system is beyond anything i've ever played before the way it helps facilitate and sort of uh arbitrate social encounters you know because sometimes in other games you know you uh you basically go oh i'm gonna convince the shopkeeper to give me a discount i roll one thing and it works that is not how it works in sword chronicle it is like a it's almost like combat but social, you know, and you've got different things you can do. You can you can nitpick on their last nerve to incite them to do something, or you can <laughs> convince them, or you can threaten them. Or in the words of Jonathan Fry, move to combat. It's the strongest thing you can do. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it also facilitates fantastically um, the combat of a, a sort of feudal fantasy game. It abstracts things. So building a house, uh, like a, a noble house, is one of my favorite things to do. And I make houses just for fun if I never play them. Because <laughs> they, cool. they tell you they tell you so much about, about this house, about its people, about its lands, about the family that owns it. So if you if you really do dig that sort of social intrigue, noble, Game of Thronesy kind of thing, then Soul Chronicle is the game for you. Yeah, well that's essentially my understanding is it it is the game that was Song of Ice and Fire. Yeah. Like you said, they the licensing, whatever, and they just stripped all the IP out of it and went, here's the engine. Yeah, they updated a couple of things. And I think they made a couple of tweaks to the sort of mass combat, so the sieging and and like warfare stuff. But yeah, mm-hmm. it is, as you said. Well, that's really cool. I'm going to have to add that to my list of things to look at as if it isn't already massively long. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's the curse of this thing, you know, this podcast thing. Someone should have warned me when I started doing this. It's a trap. You find all <laughs> kinds of more things you want to read and play and less time to do them. It's well, let me tell you, if you're making RPGs, you have no time to read them. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> it only gets worse. <laughs> yep. They just pile up. They just keep piling up. <laughs> That's, I, you know what? I have to say this and I, I, you know, with all of you that, you know, work on this stuff professionally. But, you know, people like Sam and James who mm-hmm. do it both professionally and as their side thing, the passion yeah. just has to be there. And I think that comes through in this work, you know, yeah. it really does because they clearly love it. Yeah. And I think that's something that, that makes the RPG industry very different from pretty much everything else. And like you mentioned, you know, you all are making the games that you want to play. And I think those are the type of things that, that make this a special industry and make RPG games so special just in general. 
Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. At the end of the day, we're all just a bunch of nerds that want to roll dice and tell stories together, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, unless you have anything more to say, I would like to thank you very much for taking the time to come join us. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. You know, remind people, yeah, go check out, you know, Curse Captains, go check out the other stuff from Black Cats. Like Susie said, they're going to be opening it up for late pledges. You said probably sometime in August. Yeah, probably towards late August. Uh, we want to get a couple of things in place first. But yeah, it would definitely be August time. Yeah, because I know like I, I backed it. I didn't back it at the level I would like to because of mm -hmm. various things going on in real life. So I'm probably going to go in and add a bunch of things or change, you know, anyway. But um, <laughs> well, you know, I'm only waiting on like, I think this makes six different games from Kickstarters at the moment. Oh, dang. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but one of them. Well, technically two of them are only settings, but anyway, thank you very much for taking the time to come talk with us and tell us about this wonderful game. Oh, thank you very much. And uh, any last words before we sign out for, for the episode? Thank you all again so much for your wonderful support. Please do check out our other games. Uh, and if you do enjoy them, please let us know. You know, we, we, we do love to hear uh, when people uh, have campaigns or, or games or play our games. It helps keep us going. And, and by the way, I know Susie did mention the Black Cats Discord. I can verify from firsthand experience, you can find her there constantly. <laughs> yeah, crying about my characters. <laughs> it's, it's quite an active Discord, too. It's a fun yeah. little place to hang out. We're a good bunch. We have a good time. But in any case, I guess with that, that's it for this week. So uh, we'd like to remind you to be kind to each other and go play some RPGs. Intro and outro music by the band 12 Noon. You can email us at meandsteverpg at gmail.com. You can find us on Twitter at andrpgs. Find us on Facebook at meandsteverpgpodcast. On Discord at meandsteverpgs. And as always, all of these links are in the show notes. Thank you, and be kind to one another. for the cigar. Cigar, 20 bucks, dog. You got to go down the street to the store and buy that.